I want this team to go and be the best version of themselves and represent the country in the way that this country wants to be represented. And we have a unique opportunity again to do that. Let's make the most of that opportunity and seize it, which requires doing the right yeah. things now, not just four weeks before. All right, let's see how it goes. Let's kick it off. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, like I said, this is the fun thing about um, live productions. You know, it's it's all. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. It could be the best thing ever, or the worst thing ever. But uh, that's why we do this, right? Not for the money, right, Fitzy? <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for my check now. Yeah. Is it in the mail? <laughs> it is. It is. Keep waiting. You know, it is slower these days here in the, in the United States. But all right. So this is U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live. Thank you all for coming in. We have a, a big guest coming in in just a couple minutes. Uh, Fitchy and I have one or two things to talk about first, but just in a moment, we have Mike Friday, USA Rugby Sevens men's head coach, joining us from Cape Town. But uh, Fitchy, you know, real quick, before we get to him, there's some big news today we got to discuss really quick, and this is not good. You know what I'm alluding to? Yeah, I know exactly what you're alluding to, Bill. <laughs> uh, rugby New York yeah. apparently is out MLR, and that's right after Toronto uh, jumping out as well. Uh, what's your take, man? Yeah, I think coming on the heels of Toronto dropping out, so two teams in, in less than 10 days uh, leaving MLR, definitely uh, a little alarming uh, for sure. Uh, it does sound like uh, the LA franchise will be coming into 2024, so that's some good news there. But uh, yeah, definitely a double whammy of bad news uh, for MLR and fans, but uh, optimistic. Uh, it sounds like the MLR season is still going to happen in 2024. Um so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the people at MLR are str- are just pivoting right now with scheduling everything this next season. But one thing I noticed, I know New York didn't really have uh, a big, you know, fan base as far as home games go, and they were switching field to field. And one of our guests a while ago, uh, Fitzy, mentioned that New York isn't really a sports town; it's an entertainment town. So maybe New York City is just isn't ready for it. Yeah, maybe not. A lot of options there. You know, it's a shame that a city so big with a lot of rugby fans, um, you'd think they'd be able to draw more of a crowd. But certainly some challenges there in that market. And maybe, yeah, maybe now's not the right time. And let's rally around the, the clubs that are showing some strength. But, um, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's let's not talk about that anymore. Checking in from Cape Town is USA Men's Sevens Head Coach Mike Friday. Mike, can you hear us okay? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I've managed to get on a Wi-Fi. Hopefully that's made it better. Ooh. Yeah. It is better so far. Okay. It is. <laughs> Small mercies. Small mercies. <laughs> yes. One thing. That's right. It'll stick the wins. I got to tell you, just you know, Mike, looking at some um, stuff online, some photos over else, you have the best headwear in the game. <laughs> do, you, do you travel with like a second suitcase just for hats? No, no I, 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 do, I do love a hat. I do love a good one. And the, the hat that I've got with me is the one from 4th of July um, training camp. But with, with all due respect, it is 100% functional. My skin is fair. I burn easy. Yep. And, and a big brim is required. So we might as well live the life as we should uh, and be loud and proud of, of, of the American flag. So I thought, let's, why not? Let's, let's go for it. Yeah, yeah, why not? I, I wear those same type hats when I'm in the garden. But uh, maybe I'll bring it to a match because I, I am very fair skin as well. So. <laughs> All right, Mike, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, while we're here to talk to you, we're here to talk to you about Dubai and Cape Town and other stuff. Yeah. So let's start with Dubai, obviously. Won the pool, um, but day two uh, wasn't what you wanted. No. Um, you know, let's just talk what went wrong, you know, and what are the positives you can take away from, from the weekend? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we've made no 
kind of we've, we've we haven't hidden the fact that we've got a very distinct strategy for this season and off the back of what happened in the summer and the fact that our Olympic repechage for some reason was put in the middle of August rather than at June, mm. July or September, October. So the boys could have had proper rest. It meant that we had to go all the way through. And for our senior boys, Kayvon, Perry, Stevie and Joe, that meant they'd been going solid since Tokyo 2021. So for, for nigh on two and wow. a half, three years without a proper break. So once we finished that Olympic qualification and, and, and achieved that mission, I told those boys, you are not to be seen around here for eight or nine weeks. You need to physically and mentally recharge. Mm. Unfortunately, the World Series waits for no one. So we had to make a tactical decision and a, and a strategy that the big, the, the big party is the Olympics. The World Series has been revamped, as we know. So as a consequence, let's provide opportunity for the young men who had some tough lessons last year on the world circuit to see where we're at and how we're building and moving forward. And we saw some real positive signs on, on day one. You know, it didn't all go our own way. Right. Our attacking game, our continuity, some of our strike work was really good. Our defensive effort and endeavour to, to, to keep teams out um, and as well as create turnover opportunities was, was first class. And, and, and you know, we, we were pretty unlucky not to actually get a clean sweep and, and do a job on Fiji in game one. We had opportunities. Mm -hmm. We just made <laughs> silly errors. But that's the nature of sevens, right? It's cutthroat. It's brutal, even more so now in the men's game when it's a 12-team tournament. Come day two, it's a new competition, right? You've got a ticket to the big dance, but you've got to, you've got to step up. And what you saw was we started really well. And we, we could have, we should have scored in the corner. It got, it got chalked off, rightly so, for being foot and touch. But then what you saw is the, the, the fragility or the learning curve that the younger players are still on is that we made a couple of mistakes and New Zealand score, and then we compounded it at the next two kickoffs and we were 21-0 down. And, mm. and that resilience, that robustness that you only get from being the man in the arena was there to see. And we were found a little bit wanting, if I'm honest. And, you know, that's, right. that's just, they're not rookie mistakes. It's just the cutthroat environment of the 70s if you don't quite get things right. Um, and, and, and that was what was frustrating because we were in pole position, even if we didn't win that quarterfinal, to still be in that fifth and sixth placing which gives you more points but such was the nature of we just conceded and we continued to concede it meant we then slipped into the seventh and eighth which was the most disappointing piece for me i i have to we, right. we all have to accept winning and losing it's the nature of how we stay in the arm wrestle that's the important learning curve from last weekend for us and whilst they are young men and they are finding their way and they are gaining experiences the reality is you can only be that for so long as a group um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, had, had we had more, more of the senior boys in play, maybe we'd have been able to recover from that 7-14-0 deficit. But we, we, we don't, and the boys have got to learn the harsh lessons. Um, but we have to, like we said, we still have to hunt the positives. And the positives, there was a lot of positive work in the behaviours and the effort and the endeavour that went about uh, on day one, as well as some of the actual fluidity in, our, in the way that we played the game. Mm. The Australia game, we had two, two yellow cards, right? Both of them yeah. suspicious. I mean, the Lucas LeCamp um, so-called tip tackle, yeah. uh, you know, being candid. If, if, if a player yeah. lifts one leg and he decides to jump in the air and land on his own shoulder, I, I think that's on the tackled player. That's gamesmanship. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they got one. Mm -hmm. And Malachi's was deemed to be a deliberate knock-on. 
Um, whether it actually went forward or not, it doesn't matter. That's what the referee decided. But again, what I felt was philosophically wrong with the game is from the advantage, they scored the seven points. So that's the seven points. Why are you then penalising us again with a yellow card? If you want to send our man to the mm. bin for a deliberate knock-on, blow it there and then. Don't play advantage and send him to the bin. But you can't have your cake and eat it. So philosophically, there's a few things that, that, that are in, in discussion there. That, that, that won't change for this weekend. But we want seven on seven in the game as much as we can. So, you know, that, that, that's a game that got away from us and we, we should have and we could have won, if, I, if I'm honest with you. But I was more disappointed with the 14 minutes against New Zealand um, because mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to see a little bit more from us and, and the boys wanted to see a little bit more from them as well. So, you know, it's tough, right? But you've got to dust yourself down and you've got to go again because, again, we've got a, another kind of cutthroat group this week with the host South Africa, yeah. Ireland and GB. I mean, this, every game's like a quarterfinal. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic for the supporters. It's, it's, it's not so good for the coaches' hearts. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, there's been some great innovations. That losing bonus point for getting within seven, I think, is, is, is adding mm. spice to the whole affair. Um, and ultimately, the name of the game is to get in the top eight to be in the, in the World Series finals in Madrid. So it's about accumulating points. We want to win tournaments. We want to win rugby games. But we also tactically want to get ourselves in a position to be in Madrid vying for the World Series, as well as a fully fit team firing on all cylinders come the start of January um, as we build up towards the Olympics in the summer. Yeah, Mike, and, and as you look, you know, you talked about the cutthroat nature of, of of sevens and, you know, the challenges you had, right, and, and veteran players needing some rest because of the gauntlet that they faced over the summer. But did you almost maybe in a, in a counterintuitive way, did you almost welcome the fact that the younger players had to maybe be tested so early, thinking long term? 100%. Thinking ahead? Yeah, I mean, I mean, 100%. I mean, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I, I'm very, I'm very defensive and almost fatherly about all the young players in terms of you know we need to give them time we need to allow them to make mistakes they've got to get it wrong to get it right and and that was a lot of last year's narrative right where you know towards the end of the season confidence but they were struggling we, we, we it wasn't going our way and the the younger guys were still trying to find their way so with the summer that we had and the pre-season, this is exactly as you said, it's a wonderful opportunity for them to, to lay a marker down and put the senior boys under pressure. Um, yeah. And it also means that they have got to step up and realise that they can't rely on those guys um, in, in, order to, in, in order to progress and develop themselves. So, yeah, from, from a kind of holistic standpoint, it's, it's, it is great news. I think ultimately, though, like anything, we all want to win and we all want to make sure that we're moving in the right direction. But strategically and tactically with the playing group we took a we took a a, a very clear direction that our pre-season is all the way through to the end of december so when we come back from tour the boys will have a heavy conditioning block in order that when we when we come back together on on january the 1st that is when we are really really building the, the foundations and driving forward in the World Series when everybody will be available. Everybody should be in a very good physical um, place uh, and we can wait for nobody. And it is up to each individual to maximise their opportunities and their potential. So, 
you know, it, it is a bit of a gamble. It is a little bit of a, uh, a tactical strategy. But as you said, it's also a fantastic opportunity for the men coming and the younger men to step up uh, and, and see where they sit. So what I'm hearing is the guys can't can't eat too many Christmas cookies. No, nah. I mean, with all due respect, Christmas is cancelled. So um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, that, that Christmas. The reality is they are going home out to remote condition and remote train, but they have got very strict programs they need to hit because ultimately on January the second. I mean, I've, I've been quite nice. I've given them January the first off, but January the second <laughs> is a, is fitness testing day. And you are expected to be in and around and on the point of, uh, of the scores that we want. Because if, if you've done your programming, programming over Christmas, you will be there. If you haven't, you won't. And there will be consequences. So, you know, we, we can't allow any sort of our physical preparation or, 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 or getting that piece wrong to get in the way of the mission, which is for us to be peaking and, and competing um, for the silverware in Madrid and also at the Olympics. Mike, I want to talk more about these the players individually here in a moment, but um, looking forward to Cape Town this weekend. Same group? Hello. No one's joining? Hey, Mike? Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had this problem last yeah. time. Bill was asking questions, and uh, the, the guests couldn't hear, but... Oh. Mike, can you hear me? Like everyone said, like we said earlier, guys, this is uh, the nature of these Twitter spaces. Hopefully others can hear me. But um, And then we'll get Mike back up here now and yep. see if you can hear us as well. Um, this is, Yeah, this is why we need a Hello? producer. So, hey, uh, hey, Mike. Yeah, sorry about that. I think what they just had here in Cape Town is, uh, is, the, is when yeah. they turn the electricity off for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I went out in darkness for a little while, but that's that is that, that is the norm in Cape Town um, at around eight o'clock. So, Mike, you can hear me yes, now. Yes, I can. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, so, what was your question? <laughs> so, we were we were talking about the Dubai roster. Is it the same going into Cape Town, or are you adding anybody? Um, it is the same roster. Obviously, Peter V picked up an injury um, and, and, and an HIA, which ruled him out of, rules him out of this tournament. So he's gone home, but basically the, we, we took 14 to Dubai and we've now traveled on with 13. Um, it is interesting because Steve Thomason and Joe Schroeder are over in Cape town, but they are over, <laughs> over here, um, working with, um, we're not working with, they're actually with the golden Eagles, our philanthropy arm who are huge supporters of us. So whilst they're doing their, their remote conditioning and their training, they're also, experiencing um, uh, with the Golden Eagles. And I do believe tomorrow is a fortuitous day for them as they go on a, uh, a wine safari. So, you know, it's a big a bit. The Golden Eagles and the philanthropy part of our program is, is a huge part. And they're a, they're a big part of our family, which enables us to, to actually operate as a program. So, um, 100%. yeah, it, it it, there, there will be no changes. Um, it will be the 13 or be the 12 that finished the tournament plus Jack Wendling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you had me on wine. So yeah. far. Uh, <laughs> I, just, my mind went yeah. somewhere else. All right, Mike, let's talk about, um, youngest, um, Oren Beiser yes. made his debut this past weekend. Talk about his performance and what you saw in him in camp resulting in you adding him to the roster. Yeah, I mean, Oren's been on our radar. I mean, we've, we've, we've run a, been on our development radar now probably two or three years played the under 23s has excelled in camp obviously had a few injury issues a shoulder reconstruction mm-hmm. so we've had to 
have limited time to him whilst he also finishes studies because for me finishing your studies is everything that you know rugby does not interrupt with you getting your qualifications and getting your education in place so we've had to balance that and he came into camp in the summer and he's a very intelligent player. he's almost i don't want to put pressure on him but he's a young he's another young ben pinkelman he's a mm. he's a clever player mm. he he has still got some physical development to go in terms of building his his kind of speed endurance engine his repeated effort engine to compete and be the man that he can be on the world series but he's kind of four or five months into that development and it's going to take another five or six months for us to probably see the full benefits of that so you saw real smart rugby play by Orin, Orin last weekend, mixed in with some rookie errors mm-hmm. and some rookie mistakes. And unfortunately, as we know, those rookie mistakes sometimes cost you dearly. But he's got he's got good speed for a big man. So he's probably quick a lot quicker than Pinky. Pinky won't mind me saying that. <laughs> but uh, but he but he also has the rugby EQ to become a, a smart player the way that Pinky is exceptionally high in rugby EQ, the way he operates around the breakdown, how he controls the contact areas. Orin has that potential as well as that athletic ability. And I think the big thing that Orin needs to come to terms with is, is he has to accept that he is good enough to be here and he deserves to be here. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a humble guy, but also, again, confidence of a young man when you get put into these um, tough environments you know, can, can sometimes take a little time for them to flourish. So we've got to continue to support him and, and also accept and realise, whilst minimising those kind of scars of learning that it is going to be part of his journey and that he's able to cope and be resilient and become more robust at dealing with that and moving forward but yeah he's, he's a fabulous rugby player um and you know he's, he's got a, he's got a big future in rugby you know he's playing he's challenging for the sevens now but you know he's a young man there's you you can go in different directions and your journey can go in different ways over the years mm-hmm. and i think he's going to be one of the fortunate ones who can decide that for himself and he has slightly more hair than Pinky, yeah, yeah. so that's that's a thing. <laughs> Not as much on the chin, which exactly, I saw an angle of that. That's, of a, Pinky. that's, a, that's, a, that's well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure Orin's capable of build of, uh, of of having a pinky beard, but um... not yet. <laughs> Too young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned I've heard the term uh, confidence. Obviously, any coach would want that, but I've heard that a lot over the past weekend. So for Orin, um, you know, obviously have, having a high level of confidence playing is important uh, but so how does someone new like him you know without this level of experience come into these games with the level of confidence needed you know without being arrogant yeah i mean it's it's tough right it's it's a brutal environment yeah. and and you've got to learn on the job and 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 i think having the support of people like pinky and lance around him and then you've got the younger guys that have been here for a year or two ac you know um and and Adam, and then obviously Ben Brazil, who came in as a very young man as well, um, but you know he's had to deal with some of his injury issues. I, I think he he can lean on that, and those guys can help support him and and give him the assurances that whilst we don't we want to minimise mistakes, mistakes are part of the game, and it's how we react to those mistakes. It's how we um, how we stay on task when those those types of mishaps happen. And, you know, but that's true to say for a number of the youngsters, you know, we, you know, we, we forget, well, Lucas LeCamp is very young, even though he's he's been with us kind of mm-hmm. for a good 12 months and, uh, you know, has, has kind of almost blown up the circuit at times, um, but can be prone to making some errors that are costly. You know, that's just, unfortunately, it's just part of the, the learning curve and it's something that we have to, 
work with and try and ensure that we can manage and still get the results we need. And that becomes easier with some more senior blood to rely on. And also being blunt, more senior blood, which makes it far more competitive. And, and competition is, is important as well and being able to cope with the, the stresses and the strains of that. And I think Oren will get, he's, he's the type of personality that the more comfortable he becomes, the, the more relaxed he is, the better he will make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hides behind a little bit of bravado of being the funny man and the, and the talker. When, <laughs> and, you know, and that's a big part of his personality is too, but it's then just realizing and recognizing what is required at that moment. So Mike, from, from my next question here, I've got to ask this first. Is it acceptable to call Ben Pinky? Because he's a big guy. So if I went up to him and said, hey, Pinky, I just want to make sure that, you know, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> Pink, I mean, at the end of the day, Pinky, Pinky is Pinky, right? Because we've got, we've, got, we've got Benny B as well. So I, I, I think the only person that calls Pinky Ben is probably Ben's mum. And probably, and, and probably when Ben's in trouble. And it's, it's, it, it'll either be Ben or Benjamin. I mean, I, I, I think probably if, if, if I'm having a robust conversation with Pinky, I'd probably call him Ben. Um, a, bit like, a bit like when somebody calls my name Michael and I turn around thinking, only my mum calls me that, there's obviously a problem. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Pinky's a term of affection, yeah. I mean, well, fair. yeah. So it must have been a, it must have been a welcome uh, return of, of Ben and also Madison Hughes. I mean, past winners, right? Yeah. Um, inspiring stuff from both players, in particular, uh, Pinky to come back from, um, you know, a serious back injury. But for both of those players, um, they're playing their way back into the rotation for the Olympics, right? So meaning, or rephrase, no spot is guaranteed set yet for Paris. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, let's look at them individually. So with, with Pinky, you know, Pinky has been part of our coaching team for the last two years. He's been a big part of what we've been trying to do to reignite our pathways. Our pathways, for five or six, five, five or six seven years, we've been working tirelessly in the background on our pathways so we, we can provide opportunities, transparency and clarity for young players on their journey to try and find their way to get to, to residency and compete. But with COVID, that got turned off. And just at a time where we needed to have athletes in, being around that, that what you would call the golden squad that, were, that, that came through with me in the first four or five years, these young players didn't have the benefit of that exposure. Then they all left and retired. And then these boys just had to come in and, and, and start again. So... Pinky obviously couldn't play, so we 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 saw his potential uh, in, as a communicator. His technical and tactical appreciation of the game is very very high, and his ability to communicate that effectively to bring the best out of young players was was clear to see. So we nurtured and developed Pinky to become a a key coach. In the background, he had the you know he still had this urge that he could play again, and we we have always said to him. Look, if you can, then go for it. If you can't, then you need to be looking at other things and you could be a very capable coach. So he was, it, they, were, they ended up running parallel. Um, but actually, being a coach is actually enabling him to be a smarter player now as he's come back out of the coaching trailer and gone into the locker room. The problem is now he also understands he can have a 360 view, whereas before he was probably the biggest trade union man for the players. Um, 
when it came to discussing things with the trailer, he now has a balanced understanding of what we're trying to achieve and where we're trying to get to and how we actually do individualise and nurture and develop and treat players in an individual basis. And you're seeing that translate now on the pitch to him. So the biggest hurdle for Pinky, like you say, is he needs to regain his fitness. He needs to be able to ensure he's resilient and robust enough to stay the course of this, of this ruthless game in order to give him the best opportunity to compete. Because from a rugby EQ perspective, he is, he is excellent. So his is more a, a physical piece. Now, very different to Madison, who, you know, was, you know, was my captain, 21 years old, thrust in, developed, actually grew and led that, 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 that experienced squad through fantastically through to Tokyo where it just kind of didn't happen um, for, for a number of reasons and then stepped away from the game to pursue other things and, and, and do what Madison does, which is plan for the future and, and appreciate and understand and try and develop himself as a person. But he had this, again, both of them very young, you know, still this, you know, Madison just 30, 31 and, and Pinky 29, 30. They still had this irk that, can I compete? Can I cut it? And rather than be the young man, I'll be the, the slightly older guy. And he has worked very hard behind closed doors away from residency programs to get himself into a physical shape because I challenged him. I said, it's insanely hard to come back into this environment if you've been out of it for two or three years. Physically, it, it's, a, it's a hungry man's game. It's a desperate man's game. It's not a guy that, you know, he's been there, seen there, done it, and then thinks he can do it again. But can he really, really go for it? And fair play to, to Maddie, he has attacked last summer away from the programme fantastically well to arrive in September to compete. Is he rusty? Absolutely. Is he at his best yet? No. Do we expect him to be at his best? No. Are we, as you said, um, nurturing him back into the, into the rotation to compete? Yes, we are. And you saw glimpses just in Dubai, you know, just his try, his running support line of that's the, the old Maddie that we knew who would always pick up those, those lines up the middle of the pitch. What you're also seeing is there's a real continuity and togetherness and, and connectivity in our D because when Maddie was at the height of his powers, he was always the top tackler for the USA and, and always in the top three for the World Series because he got through a lot of defensive connection work and making his tackles. Mm -hmm. He's still probably got 20, 25, 30% more to go, but it, you know, he again has got a big fitness block coming up ahead of him. Um, and, you know, he, he will still have, not, not confidence issues are the wrong thing, but he will still, it will still be an alien environment for him because he's been out of it for two and a half years. So he will be feeling his way in, understanding where he fits in in the squad and getting comfortable. And he is more comfortable just being one of the players rather than the man that they turn to. He is a natural leader. So he will naturally provide that input, but he's also that good a leader. He's more than happy to be part of a group, not necessarily the man with the armband, and still contribute positively to ensure that the younger players feel um, heard and the younger, younger players feel valued, um, as well as work and guide and assist and, and mm. offer a view to the senior boys. And, you know, we're very fortunate with the way that Kayvon you know, grew into the captaincy role when Madison 
um, moved on, but also the way that he has embraced and taken it to a new level with this group. Um, and the two of them are seamless in terms of how they go about their business uh, alongside the other personalities in the senior group, you know, the likes of Perry and Stevie and Joe. Mm. Well, any speaking of the senior group or at least more senior group, the ones that aren't around, any chance we may see another name or two come back in the mix, or is this pretty much it? Maybe a Danny or no? You, or... you won't. You won't. No, you won't see a Danny. I mean, that Danny, you won't see a Danny. I think Danny is done with playing, and certainly he would. He yeah. would love the idea, but I think the fitness test alone would put Danny off. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, Me too. I, don't, I don't think we'll see the likes of, uh, of 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 many of more of those scenes. I mean, who knows? I, I doubt it. If I'm honest with you, um, yeah. I think, and and the reason I say that is that. It's, a, it's an all-in thing, and you've got to mm-hmm. be all-in. Um, and you've got to be prepared to sacrifice and move to San Diego and fully ingrain yourself and buy into the program. Now, a lot of those boys you've just talked to have other lives. They have families. They've, they've, they, they have, uh, their mm-hmm. families have jobs elsewhere in the company, which would make it logistically difficult for them to do that unless they decided that that's what they wanted to do as a family. And that's a huge um, choice and a, few, a huge kind of decision to make because, let's be perfectly honest, they, they will have other um, priorities, be that financial or whatever, which would, they would have to probably kind of um, consider um, right. If they if they if they wanted to to go at it, so I, I would probably say no. I wouldn't expect any more. And and I think ultimately as well, with with respect to this group, they need to step up and grasp it and take it, and they need to get after it. And and the beauty about this group, there are a large number of them that will be able to compete and push through for the home Olympics in 2028. And that's part of this whole pathway piece that we've been building with the Golden Eagles over the last 18 months, two years, is that you saw the first signs of that in Rugby Town under 23s with the way that they went about their business. We've then started to do that with the under 18s and they'll go off to the world schools. Mm-hmm. And it's about creating opportunities along the way to build the conveyor belt to allow the one or twos to, to push on through as well as the, the, the group that are very much kind of here in the in the now that can take us to 2028 again look at the pan am group that yeah. you know you've got people like nick hardrick who who um who graduate at the end of next year again so you can start to see the bits of the jigsaw and the continuity piece being put in place and that was the big thing that hurt us after 2021 because of covid you know, our whole mm. pipeline was turned off and we had to start from scratch. But the problem is the rest of the world expected us to still be the same team when we were at, when right. we were at the height of our strengths in 2019, rather than realise that you've got to allow young players times to flourish and develop. We're not New Zealand. We can't reinvent ourselves every six months because they've got a player pathway that's, you know, 50 deep. You know, we, we, sadly, we, we don't have that, that luxury. Um, do we aspire to do that? I mean, it'd be lovely if we could have that, but there, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's a, probably a whole different podcast in terms of uh, <laughs> you know how do we build a, a, a proper pathway that is fit for purpose for USA rugby um, to yeah. enable us to move forward, not just in the sevens but in the fifteens. I mean, you know, ultimately that takes a lot of money and a lot of collaboration um, and a lot of compromise. Now, again, <laughs> the, 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 that's mm-hmm. the grail. 
Well, when you when you talk about the uh, you know building a program, I mean, could PR sevens be that? I know right now it's just you know fledgling yeah. Yeah. Uh, competition, but could that be? I think the PR sevens is a, is a wonderful piece of the jigsaw that the the bridges college club and international. I I, I genuinely do. I, mm-hmm. Where I struggle is the connectivity because club sevens are are not allowing PR7s players to play for their clubs, even if they've been with their clubs for mm. years. You, you can only have... And if you play on the PR7s, you're deemed professional, when really you're given a travel stipend to cover your cost to get there. But that, in theory, means you've signed a professional contract. So we're not joined up, or we're not, we're not coordinated to ensure that we're giving mm-hmm. the best opportunity for these players to have a clear pathway through. Likewise, obviously, you've got college restrictions or considerations to play in PR7s that make it difficult for some players to do that as well, rather than finding ways to ensure that the college game and the club game and the PR7s game, let's just call it that, that whole pathway is coordinated Mm -hmm. and you are able to clearly move through without consequences. Because ultimately, what, what do we want at the national team? We want to provide as many playing opportunities as we can to allow these players to showcase themselves, to have an opportunity to get invited to a camp or earn the right to get invited to the camp what you don't want is oh my mate from down the road uh, recommended him therefore he gets in because of that we don't want that we want to we, we right. want talent identification we we want clear pathways we want clear competition and coordinated and joined up competitions from the from the different pieces of the jigsaw right and you've got the club game you've got the pr7s game and you and you've got the college game but they all seem to be on their own their own agenda, driving their own narrative rather than what's the end game here. The end game here is to make USA Sevens one of the best Sevens teams in the world because if we do that, that shines a light on our sport in a country where, let's be perfectly blunt, winning is everything in the American sporting landscape. (laughs) You know, coming second isn't really an option, right? Um, So in order to to give us the best chance to do that, we, we, we need to be coordinated in everything we do. And... And, and that's a frustrating piece for me because, I, again, I've seen some um, things that have, that have gone on that have stopped that from happening, like the restrictions on the Club Sevens uh, and, and just, just not finding smart ways to allow the college players to be involved in PR Sevens. So hopefully we can sort that out, yeah, work in progress, you know, move in the right direction mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and we can... We can, we can continue to try and kick on because, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge for USA is such a big place. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's huge, right, which makes the travel, the costs and the logistics of, of, of allowing these teams to, to, to play and participate and compete actually quite challenging. Mike, I want to um, switch switch gears here for a second. You, you've seen the reports, right? Antoine Dupont, Michael Hooper, just to name yeah. a few big name fifteen stars linking up for their shot at gold. How, how do you feel about this? Good, good for the sevens game. Uh, uh, well, I think it, I think it's interesting, right? I've seen this before, right? And and and, and as I said to you, to, yeah. to, to be successful in the seven series, you've got to be a hungry man. You, you, you know, if you've if you've eaten at the rich man's table and you try and come back to the poor man's table of the sevens and you're not prepared to to fight and 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 go to the dark places, then mm. you'll struggle. Ultimately, you you will fail. And we've seen some top top players have a go and top top players fail. The interesting ones for me are I'm interested in Michael Hooper because what what's his driver for doing it? You know, is it because he really wants to be the Olympics or is it because, well, let's just see, I should be able to do this because I'm a, I'm 100, 
odd cap player for Australia. So I'm interested with him. I think DuPont is built differently. <laughs> this this bloke is built differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he will be exceptional because, again, it's in France, but I, the, the man has no ego. Um, he, he just wants to go out and compete. And I think he'll be an interesting... I don't think they'll play him at halfback. I think they'll play him at first receiver or centre. The one that is really, really exciting me from a sevens perspective is Damian Penno. Yeah. If, if mm. he comes... I mean, as an aerial forward with his attacking ability and the way he operates in the air and his work ethic off the ball, both sides of the ball, he is... One of the he could be like the ultimate sevens player if he'd have come through the sevens the other way. So I think Penno, if he does come, could be just box office. I think Dupont will be box office too. My jury is out in Hooper. I think in terms of shining the light on our game, we've got two of the biggest world stars of rugby. Forget which code of rugby mm-hmm. playing the Olympics in their home country. It makes France very mm. dangerous if they fully buy into it and come on board January, February time, which is what we're hearing will happen. I, I, I think whether or not Dupont and Penno will be in LA and Vancouver or coming to Hong Kong, I, I think it's around that time and that will give them enough time to understand and bed in um, because obviously their rugby EQ is fantastic, but can they make the adjustments physically? And probably it's a six to nine week adjustment in terms of that repeated effort and durability you need to be a sevens player over a fifteens player. And then can you go to the dark places? And I think those two are more than happy to go to the dark places mm-hmm. whenever and wherever. Mike, uh, one last question for you. Um, your third Olympic Games, correct, coming up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, when you ask, when people ask, say, other athletes, say, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, say, yeah. whoever in FIFA World Cups, they they treat each one differently. What I say is, like, they don't take it for granted maybe one year or whatever else. Yeah. So are you approaching Paris any differently? Is it maybe on the personal level? I, I am. I am 100% approaching this differently. I mean, I, I, I think what I learned from, from the lead-up to Tokyo, more importantly, what I learned from what happened post-COVID in terms of how – we went from being a, a squad which was recognised as one of the best in the world and, and ultimately that Olympics probably a year too late for us as a result. But we also had to deal, and we didn't deal particularly well as a squad with, with being apart and then coming together and then, and then having to make those adjustments as well as we probably right. wanted to. And that kind of left us in a, in a place where we, we had some regrets after Tokyo. So my whole mantra in this lead up to getting Olympic qualification and this whole lead up towards January the, the second and, and then our final push to the is I, I'm leaving nothing unturned and I will I will assume nothing and will continually drive and ask the questions to ensure that the players are doing everything they can do to be the best version of themselves not assume that they will. So if, it, if that means I have to be on your back the whole time, if, I, if it means that I have to support you the whole time, I, I have got that, that commitment in my head that, that I, w- I won't have any but-if scenarios. And if that means I've got to have hard conversations with the union, I've got to have hard conversations with USOPC, I've got to have robust conversations and fall out with, mm-hmm. in theory, my bosses, then, then so be it. Because I would rather die trying than, than have a, a but-if or 
if I'd have just done that or if I'd done this. It, it, the, the, the cause has to be the main focus. And, and it, you know, sometimes you do need to break some eggs to kind of get there. Um, and, and that's my whole mantra because I want, I want this team to go and be the best version of themselves and represent the country in the way that this country wants to be represented. Ah. And we have a unique opportunity again to do that. So let's make the most of that opportunity and seize it, um, which requires doing the right yeah. things now, not just four weeks before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe talking about getting tough. I, I noticed uh, your son, Lucas, yeah. um, uh, like father, like son, play scrum. Yeah. Um, he was out in the mix out in California early this year. Yeah. Did you get on him a bit? And how do you do well? How do you do with the grown-ups? Well, I mean, that, that was the point. It was a bit of a wake-up call for the grown-ups because oh. so Lucas had just turned 17 and Lucas just, was capped for England a year young at 18s and was there training oh. to get ready to go on a South African tour for 18s. And what they realized when, when they saw Lucas is because Lucas is ridiculously driven um, to compete. Um, so he has, he's got a little bit of me in him, um, but ob obviously <laughs> he's a far better rugby player than I ever was. And what what they saw is that his the way that he approaches his skill execution, his decision making, is is is, is was was a surprise for them because they're thinking, "Wow, he's a sixteen year old," but he doesn't drop balls. He makes good decisions. He he, he reads, the, and they were taken back a little bit where he got the most benefit from being with them was obviously at 16, 17, he's still waiting for his last kind of speed spurt. So him being able mm -hmm. to compete with them with the speeds they run out was a real physical challenge for him. But it meant that when he went back, the game felt a lot slower for him. So it, it, it's interesting one, right? Because I think the, the lessons that they learned is that, that, wow, if he can do have the rugby EQ he has, then there's no excuse for us not kind of pushing the boundaries and pushing on because that is one of the biggest challenges for American rugby athletes because they come to the sport later. They don't have the exposure that, you know, some of the rugby mature nations like Lucas would have in England. So they have got to play catch mm -hmm. up on that. But where they have an advantage is that, you know, American athletes are always regarded as physical specimens and, and, and our boys are, are certainly that. So that was Lucas's learning as well as, okay, well, from a physical standpoint, I can get more out of myself. So it was, it was a bit of a trade-off, but he loved it. I mean, you know, my eldest son has been yeah. out before yeah. and he's loved it. Um, you know, who wouldn't have been paid to play rugby? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, Fitz, you want to add anything? No, that was great. Mike, I'm glad the wife helped yeah. out for you. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> and the lights are most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was more, uh, I think it was night call. It was nighttime yeah. call. Maybe the flight's flashing on them. Go to bed. <laughs> All right, Mike, listen again. Thank you so much for making this work. Um, uh, good luck this weekend in Cape Town. Thank you very much, lads. Go well. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Fitzy, any last comment? No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for, uh, it, it's great to get that inside stuff or kind of the direction of what we're aiming for uh, mm -hmm. looking ahead to Paris this summer. So I'm fired up. Me too. And I, um, I'd love to get out to Paris again, but uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, Fitzy, that's a good one. Uh, we will chat again later. Everybody else, thank you so much for listening in. If you were live streaming on Facebook and YouTube, you too, thank you so much for tuning in. Everybody else, have a great night and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.